Has anyone ever told you at any point, I'm not thinking maybe last week or yesterday, but at any point in your life, has anyone ever told you, get a life? You need to get a life. Yeah, this is something that people say, and it's actually kind of, it can seem kind of actually a derogatory uh, thing to say to someone. I mean, like, who are you to tell me that, you know, to get a life? I mean, do you, you know, how's your life going, right? You know, and you're telling me to get a life. It basically means that what you're doing with your life may seem to be a waste of time and you need to stop doing that and do something else. Do something that means something. Do something that's important. The reality is that if we do not have God, the person without God in your life and is not a person that's deriving their life and meaning from God, the reality is that everything is meaningless without God. This is the conclusion that it's the logical conclusion of atheistic naturalism. If atheism is true, if naturalism is true, then the actual conclusion philosophically is that literally none of this has any meaning whatsoever. And the only meaning that you can assign to it is a subjective temporary meaning that you are giving to it right now. And so I always get rebuttals on this, right? Like, well, no, 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 my life has purpose. My life has meaning. No, without God, your life has no purpose, no meaning, right? It's only in God that we have purpose, that we have meaning. And people will always want to push back on this. But just for the sake of it, if this world, this whole universe were to explode right now, and dissolve back into like a drop and disappear. What difference does anything that has ever happened actually make? Nothing, nothing. It's only because there is a God that we, and through him, that we derive meaning in our lives, amen? A couple of years ago, I actually put this statement out on Twitter. And every once in a while, I was always trying to like put like, you know, these, you know, heavy duty philosophical statements out there. And, and most of the time, like, look, I, I've only got, I don't know, a couple hundred, two, three hundred Twitter followers, not that many, right? And so I'm thinking, you know, a few, few of my friends will see it or whatever, and they'll, you know, give me a like. I didn't realize that somebody, some atheist somewhere like retweeted it and tweeted back at me and said, that's so sad for you. My life has meaning, trying to argue back against the reality of nihilism that their worldview actually contains, right? Next thing I know, I'm getting all kinds of retweets and people tweeting at me. It was like, I, it was the one and only time I've ever created like a little bit of a Twitter storm. And, and um, man, you think it's fun. I mean, Twitter is like a brawl out there. Really, it is. It's not, it's not fun. And, um, and at the end of the day, the, 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 the intellectually honest atheist has to come to that conclusion. The reality is this, that God is the reference point that gives our life meaning and purpose. But the average person finds themselves actually in a graver situation than that. 
not having the kind of life that we live together with God, having a relationship with God, the, the reality is not only does life not have purpose and meaning, but the mankind has been lost in sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Now, of course, we know that God commanded Adam. He gave him a command. And, of course, they disobeyed that command. Part of the command said this. In the day that you eat of, from this tree that I have commanded you not to, in, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, if you read the Bible, you pick up Genesis and you begin to read and you see Adam and Eve eat the fruit, they eat the forbidden fruit, and they don't keel over and die. And you're like, okay, well, wait, wait, wait. What happened? What happened? They didn't physically die, but they spiritually died. Paul picks up on this theme in the second chapter of Ephesians when he says, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There's a part of every person without God that is dead. We're spiritually dead. And that's what it means to come to Christ and be a Christian is actually, Jesus put it this way, you must be, what? Born again. You must be born from above. You must have spiritual life given to you. And this is the only way that it works and that our life has meaning. So tonight I want to take you to this passage where Jesus is talking about, he's comparing himself to others who will come into your life that will seem to bring benefit to your life, but they've only come for the wrong reasons. They've only come to, to, to steal, kill, and destroy. And then, of course, he contrasts those people that come into your life to himself, and he's come into to your life. He comes to give you life. Amen? So let's read this passage. It's John chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 10 and 11. And then we're going to take a look at this. It says this. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. A couple points here tonight. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. There are thieves and a thief. There are thieves and a thief. In this passage in John 10, Jesus has been talking about shepherds. If you read the whole context here, he's talking about shepherds, and he's actually he's actually talking about the whole idea of shepherding and what they would have, the shepherds at that time, they would have these sheep pens. And literally earlier in the chapter, he literally says, I'm the door of the sheep pen. I'm the door where you come in and out. And so he's literally, so this is a couple of places where Jesus has seven I am statements uh, in the New Testament. And, and this, these are two of them right here because he says, I am, in the, I am the door earlier in John 10. And here he says, I'm the good shepherd. So he says, I'm the door, I'm the one that speaks to the sheep, they go in and out through me, and I am the good shepherd. And of course, there are those that come in that they may appear to uh, be ones that want to do well or do good by you. They may even appear to be shepherds in that sense, but he says they're thieves, they're thieves. Now, 
he, he talks about um, this and, he, and, and, and the, the, the thief is only coming because there's a selfish motive, right? A thief wants to take advantage of someone. A thief wants to say things and do things in such a way that uh, make themselves just better themselves in that, in that sense. So Jesus draws a sharp contrast between the false shepherds and the true good shepherd. He says here in verse 10, the thief, the person who's the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. These bad shepherds are likened to a thief. The reality is this. There are people who will come into your life or they may already be a part of your life that don't always operate in your best interest. They may appear, they may say that they have your best interest in mind, but they don't always have your best interest in mind. And these people, specifically the ones that Jesus is talking about in this occasion, he's, he's saying these people are thieves. They've come to steal from you. They've come to take from you. They've come to make themselves better and leave you in whatever kind of situation that you're left with. These people have come to steal. They're thieves because they steal from you. They seek to take from you for the betterment of themselves. Their theft can take different forms. They, they can take your joy. You, you can have people in your life that, that literally will take your joy. They will steal your joy if you let them. Now, you don't have to let people steal your joy. They can attempt to. They can come in. And that's one of the things that makes life so interesting and sometimes difficult. Let's just be honest. You know, you're kind of minding your own self. self got your, you know, I got my joy. Got my peace. Got my, all this stuff going. And then along comes somebody else and he comes into your world. He upsets your apple cart, you know? He does something, you know, takes your joy. People will do this. That's why we have, that's why there's all these admonitions in Scripture about, about guarding our hearts and, 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 and surrendering our lives to the person who is our refuge and the person that's going to, to, to be that person that's going to take care and protect. And, and we have to be ready. We have to be on the lookout. We have to be aware of these things. And... We don't have to let somebody steal our joy. Amen? They can attempt to do it. They can do everything that they can do it. But at the end of the day, we don't have to let people do it. And sometimes when you realize this is happening, you just have to kind of put your foot down. You know? And you have to realize that, you know, there's some boundaries. And if you're in Christ tonight, you have a life in Christ, realize that, hey, you know, I don't have to necessarily let people come in and steal my joy. They may take your joy. They may take your time. Some people, my dad used to tell me that he got some great advice from a pastor, uh, an elder pastor that gave him advice when he was a young man, and he gave me this advice. He says, you know, as a pastor, there's two types of people that will come across your path. Those that the Lord brings for you to minister to and to bless and those that the enemy brings to waste your time. And some people can just come in and waste your time. Now, you have to have real discernment to figure out the difference because it can be interesting. And after a little while, you can realize that 
somebody, maybe they come to you for help and they just don't want to listen to any good advice. And everybody's giving them good advice and they don't want to listen and they can just really take up your time. That's why you have to be protective. They, they can take your money and they may even take your sanity if you let it go on for a long, long time. You get to the point where I got to do something about this situation or I'm, one of us is going crazy, okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and so maybe there's someone in your life who steals your joy. They just don't have anything good to say. They're always tearing you down. They're a thief. They're a thief. Now, a person who always puts you down, I, I, I learned this probably 30 years ago because I had a, I had a roommate that, that was always putting me down. And I was like very like, you know, I, I just had all my stuff. I mean, I, I had my CDs, you know, all organized and all stacked up on, on my area and everything. And I had them alphabetized and, and everything. And he would just do stuff to get under my skin. And one day I came in and he had gone into my well-organized CD collection and he had taken out the CDs and put them in different cases. Right? Now for me, that was like, you know, and then he would swap our mattresses and do all kinds of stuff. He was just all, and, and, and it took me a while to learn and to figure out he's got to do this stuff because he's, it's him. It's not me. I was getting up and going to class. <laughs> you know, I was going, I was doing the work. I wasn't. And so sometimes you got to just look at it and it takes you a little bit of time to figure out what's going on in some of these situations. But people sometimes will just come and they've come to steal. They've come to put you down. They've come to destroy. They haven't come to build you up. They've come to tear you down. And, and we've got to be aware of this. They might be someone who is supposed to have your best interest in mind. It could even be a family member. In this case, he's actually talking, to, he's talking about in the New Testament, Jesus is coming on the scene, and he's talking about those who would actually abuse the people, the Pharisees, right? In fact, he confronts them a number of times and says, you put all this on the people. And he says, you know, it's the blind leading the blind. You're supposed to lead them. You're supposed to look to God so that you can lead people, but it's the blind leading the blind. You're both going to end up in a in the, off the cliff, in the ditch, right? And so he confronts these people. Now there are thieves out there. They're out there and they only come to steal, kill, and destroy. They leave destruction in their wake. When someone is acting in, in, in a way that is abusive towards you, takes from you, hurts you, again, this is a thief, now you say, well, that's pretty harsh to just identify something, you know, that's being a thief. That's being a thief. Now we've all probably stolen at some point in our lives, you know, if we're all being honest. 
Ray Comfort comes up to you and asks you, have you stolen anything? Yes. Okay, what does, that, what does that make you? A thief. Okay, all right, I'm guilty. We've all been a thief at one point in our life. And the person that comes in to our life and does these things is a thief. And while that may be to identify that, to put a name on it, may seem a little harsh, right? To say, no, no, that's being a thief. This person coming in all the time, stealing my joy, stealing my peace, taking my time, this is a person that's being a thief. It may seem harsh, but let me, let me say this. When, when people come in in an ungodly way, it's ugly. When people come into our lives and begin to act in an ungodly way, it can be very ugly. And Jesus was never afraid to identify something that was of the other kingdom and going in the opposite direction. In fact, when Peter was telling him, Peter, Jesus had told the disciples, I'm going away, I'm gonna be crucified, this whole thing's gonna happen. And the disciples are just, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Peter stands up and he says, no, I will never let this happen, Jesus. I will not let this happen to you, Lord. Now you might think, well, wow, good guy, loyal guy, good outspoken guy, whatever. No, on this particular occasion, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because what he was saying in that particular moment was not of the will of God. It was not of what God was going to do. And he had just laid down, he had just told them exactly what he was going to do, that he was gonna lay down his life, that he was gonna give himself up. And when Peter's acting in that moment, he's, he's acting as the adversary. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And so we need to learn how to recognize this, these things in our lives. Sometimes people are acting more in league with Satan than they are acting in league with God. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying like, you know, judging their soul. And I don't know what the condition of the, you know, not condemning their ever living soul. And I don't think Jesus was doing that either, although he could if he wanted to, <laughs> Right? But there is a time when some people are acting in that way. They're acting as an adversary towards, for, the, for the will of God and the will of God in your life. Jesus didn't let his adversaries and thieves get very far with him. Amen? And, and I wanna, I wanna, um, I'm gonna put a verse here up on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. This is when Jesus is going to send out the disciples. And he says this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, the hard part about this verse for us to understand is we can get the whole harmless as doves. We know how, you know, okay, you know. We get the whole thing like that, right? And, and that side of the coin is the coin that is often preached about Jesus. And there are people, certain sects of the church that have taken that to the nth degree and they've become like the, just the ultra pacifist, right? Just 
the ultra, like, you know, just, you know, woe is me and just, you know, come into my life and knock me around because I'm just going to, you know. And, you know, Jesus says, look, I, I'm sending you out. You need to be harmless as doves, but you need to be wise as serpents. And I think sometimes we get the whole harmless as doves, but we need to hear that God is saying to us, we need to be wise as serpents. We need to be wise as serpents. Don't, we don't have to let people use us. We don't have to let people abuse us. We don't have to let the thief in. We don't have to let uh, people take from us. We, need, we can be smart, amen? We can be wise as serpents. Sometimes people think that being a Christian that it's, 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 it's just like hyper-passivity, right? That we're to be like just, just role models in being passive. And you know what? Jesus wasn't like that when it came to thieves. When it came to, from, to, to people ripping people off, and especially the people of God. In fact, he went the other direction when it came to that situation. Uh. Jesus, people like to portray Jesus as like an extreme pacifist. But remember, he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple. Why did he do it? He went into the temple. You can see this in John chapter two, in this gospel. Jesus goes into the temple and there are these money changers, right? And what were they doing? They were ripping the people off. Here were these people who had come from far away, God-fearing Jews, and they were coming just to worship God and just to do what the, what the law had told them to do. So sometimes they came from a, a far distance and they came all the way to Jerusalem and they said, okay, I don't have much money. And if you look at the sacrificial system, there was always a tiered system. There was like the top like one for like, you know, like if you could afford it, you bring a lamb right? And if you couldn't bring a lamb, you could bring a goat. And if you couldn't bring a goat, you could bring a bird, right? You could literally bring a, a bird. And there was instructions on how to do the sacrifices for a bird. You take the wings and stretch them. We're not going to go Leviticus on you tonight, amen? We're not going Leviticus. We already did that, you know, a couple weeks, a few weeks ago. You can get all that. But here's what they were doing. They were charging the, the people an exchange fee to put their money in the temple currency. And, and, and God says, you're not doing this here. You're not ripping the people off. They've come to worship me and you're ripping them off. And he overturned the tables. And every once in a while, now, I'm, now, now that's, now people have tried to portray that scene of Jesus overturning the tables, right? And, and, and not only did he turn out, to, not only did he, uh, overturned the tables, but he, he, he cracked the whip too, right? You, read, you, you go back to John 2 and read it, okay? Interesting, right? I think there was a meme going around Facebook, you know? Just, to, just when you say to me, do what Jesus would do, please remember that overturning the tables and cracking the whip are among the possibilities. <laughs> Right? We have to be careful in that situation, but I think the lesson is learned that there are people that are thieves. There are people that are on the take. Now, I want to be clear in this situation. 
when we're talking about the thieves that, that Jesus is talking about, he says the thief, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm not talking about some, some time that somebody has hurt you, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, because if, if, you, if you just had thin skin and every time someone hurt you or if you felt like you were taken in some kind of conversation or whatever and you were just like, ah, I'm just overturning the, t- t- the, the, the tables on you, you know? No, we, 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 we have to have a balanced approach here. So I'm not talking about someone that uh, perhaps has hurt you or been hurt, hurtful to you. It may be even someone in your family that's constantly hurt, hurtful to you. It, it, you don't necessarily have permission to, you know, cast them out, although it may get to that. But, but you, you have to be, you have to be careful and you have to be wise. Innocent as dove, wise as serpents, right? And sometimes you can just start, sometimes these types of things happen and they fester in our lives because we don't often do the simple thing that we can do first, right? And so things fester and fester and fester and sometimes just saying, you know what, stop it. Don't do that anymore. Don't talk to me like that anymore. That's okay. That's okay. You know, it's okay to say that. I'm reminded of a scene in the movie Kindergarten Cop. How many remember that? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Remember, he was a cop and he went to Oregon somewhere to find like this kid or whatever. And so he had to be a a kindergarten teacher. And there's a scene in the middle of the movie where there's a kid in the class, one of the kindergartners is eating all the lunches of all the other kids in the class. And he finally gets the kid and he holds him up and he says, are you eating everyone else's lunches? And he nods. And Schwarzenegger says, stop it. <laughs> and he spits, all the, he spits the lunch out. Now I feel like this sometimes, you know? I feel like Schwarzenegger, stop it. Right? Sometimes we just need to handle things up front. We need to have the conversation that might be difficult. I understand that sometimes there's difficult conversations that we have in our lives. Amen? I call them big boy conversations. A lot of people shy away from big boy conversations. They talk a big boy game, but when it comes time to having a big boy conversation, never happens never happens. And things go on and on and on. And sometimes you have to sit down and have a big boy conversation where you sit down in peace and you say, you know what? You're doing this and I'm going to ask you to stop doing that. Right? Amen. I think that's within the realm of what God is saying to us when he's sending us out and he's saying, hey, I want you to be harmless as doves, but I want you to be wise as serpents. So, not only are there thieves, there's this general aspect of, the, of, of thieves, but there, there is a thief. And I use that definitive article. What's called in grammar, like the definitive article, the thief, right? There, there are thieves and then there's the thief, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, 
and destroy. And of course, we know who this is. We have a human adversary. We have the serpent from the garden who, who tempted mankind and, and led them into sin and, and, and continues, as, as it's told to us in the New Testament, leads the world astray, leads the world astray, leads people into evil, and, and, and literally keeps people under his sway, dead in their trespasses and sins. So we have this adversary that comes, and this is why he comes. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy anyone and everyone that comes across his path. They say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. I have a, I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. Satan doesn't. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's why it's an admonition for anybody not to ever give, a, give the enemy the toehold in your life or in your family, in your home, because he comes for those purposes, to steal, kill, and destroy. He has a horrible plan for your life and that ends in destruction. Don't let the enemy's plan succeed in your life. Turn to God. Now, Jesus says, so there's a thief. There's thieves and a thief. Secondly, tonight, there's a good shepherd. Let's look back at the text. John 10. He says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. There is a good shepherd. Amen? There's a thief, and a thief comes. He comes to steal from you, to kill, destroy. But there is a shepherd. A shepherd is, a, is one that took care of the sheep. A, a shepherd is one that gathered the sheep. He protects the sheep. He, he ministers to the sheep, right? He feeds the sheep. And we do have, we do have a shepherd that is not just a shepherd, but he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. Isaiah put it like this way. We're, we all are like sheep and we've gone astray. Each one has gone to our own way. And so we need a shepherd. That's why David wrote the 23rd Psalm. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down on green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What is this to say? He leads you to the place where you're gonna have the provision you need. You lead sheep to green pastures, what is that saying? He's taken you to the place where you're gonna be able to be provided for. Amen? Interesting passage in John chapter six. I don't think the Holy Spirit misses a, a note when he says in John six, when, he, when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and John writing the gospel under the inspiration of the Spirit says, and he had the people sit down there and there was much grass in that place. And what does Jesus proceed to do? feed them with a, from a boy's lunch, five loaves and two fish. There was much grass in that place. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me beside the refreshment of still waters, the peace and tranquility of, of a life with him, amen? 
We need a shepherd. We need a shepherd, and Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Now, the word shepherd in the New Testament is a word, it's actually, you can translate it shepherd here, but it also, it's the word in the Greek is poimen, and it's shepherd, but it also can be pastor. It's the, a pastor is basically a shepherd, right? So he is the good pastor, amen? It's interesting that like, you know, people used to go around as pastors of churches. Like when I grew up, you'd have a church and it would just be, you'd have the sign and it would say the name of the pastor out on the sign. It would say like, you know, First Baptist or First Assembly or whatever the name of the church was. Didn't have cool names of churches back then. You know, you didn't have like, you know, all this cool stuff. No, it was just like, everybody back then wanted to be first. It's like, we're, we're here in town. Is there any other Baptist churches? No, we're first, we're first, we're first, first Baptist, right? And then I had this idea that you should, if you were really being biblical, that you should move into a town, start the church and call it last Baptist, right? Because the first will be last and the last will be first, amen? <laughs> oh. Where was I going with that? Oh, pastor. <laughs> so, so you'd see the name of the pastor out on the, on the front sign. And, uh, and then, like, you know, it was a bigger church. You'd have senior pastor, right? Senior pastor. And then a few years ago, that wasn't good enough. We don't want to be a senior pastor. Lead pastor, right? Lead pastor. In reality, we have a good pastor. If you're a Christian, you have a really great, you have the best pastor. You can go home tonight, you can put it on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Hashtag, I have the best pastor. <laughs> Amen. Why? Because the name of your pastor is none other than Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the good shepherd. Now, as a pastor of a church, this is just one of the flocks. And so really pastors are not the lead pastors. They're like the under pastors, right? That'd be wild, right? You go out there, cool name of a church, under pastor. <laughs> People would have no idea what you're talking about, right? And say, oh, this is some, some cool new thing, you know, some cool new thing. He's not the lead pastor. He's the under pastor. But we, so we have a good pastor. How good is our pastor? He says, I'm the good shepherd. How good is our pastor? He'll never let you down. He will absolutely never let you down. He's always there for you. Always. He goes through life with you. He gives you company. Amen? I was at a concert last night, and I don't know if anybody is friends with me on Facebook, but I, I, I'm friends with one of the guys in Striper, right? If you remember Striper. So we went over yesterday to Orlando, and I'm with my friend Oz, and they're playing at the House of Blues, and there's a song that they have been singing for over 30 years, and there's a line in it 
that always, every time they sing it, it just jumps out at me because it's talking about the Lord and his presence in the life of a believer. And it says, he gives, you give me company. You give me company. So, so this is how good your pastor is. He's always with you. He's always with you. You always have a companion. You always have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You always have someone that, that you've always got company. You know, you think, oh, you know, I'm home alone. I'm home alone, you know? You've got company. You always have company if you're a believer in Christ, amen? And the great thing about that is that he's always there. I've learned in my relationship with Christ I just have this, God's right there. He's, he's just right there. I'm always, like, you know, somewhere down the line, you know, when I got to that verse, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, pray without ceasing, right? It's the idea that, like, he's literally right there. You, you have this ongoing dialogue with the Lord all throughout the day. Every moment, every, every second is a possibility of having uh, just that company of the Lord. And, and so you're never alone. He's a rock to stand on and to build your life on. He's a counselor. You need some counseling? Sometimes you need counseling. Well, you got a great pastoral counselor. Now, if you ever need counseling, yeah, come. Come talk to me, whatever. I do counseling. But there's a really great counselor. He's a comforter. He's everything you need. We, we sing songs that years ago, uh, Hillsong had a, one of their great songs. It was, all, all I need is you, Lord, is you, Lord. All I need is you. Right? Mary Jo's the singer, right? And <laughs> Nate tonight, great job, right? I was bad. When I first met Mary Jo, I was literally tone deaf. Like now I can kind of stay on the pitch after being married for 26 years to her because she just has like near perfect pitch. Let him be your pastor. Let him be your shepherd. Be able to say like David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus is the true shepherd. Now, the good shepherd has a plan and a desire for you, which brings us to our last point tonight. The good shepherd comes to give life. Jesus came into the world for one reason. Let's look at, back at the text. Verse 10, he says, I come, I have come, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The good shepherd comes to give life. Jesus came, you say, well, why did he come? He came to bring life, and how he had to do that was through giving his, his life. You say, what? There's all kinds of these, what they call paradoxes, right, in the gospel. You know, the rose of Sharon wore a crown of thorns, right? The carpenter had a nail through his hand. All these types of things where you're like, wow right? In order for him to give life, he, had, he gave his life. And, that's, and you say, well, how did he do it? 
He gave his perfect life for you. We learn from the Old Testament that the life of the, of the life was in the blood. The life was in the blood. So when Jesus shed his blood, he's giving his life. He's pouring his life out over you. The atoning work of the cross is the covering of the blood of Christ on you. It's the life of Christ. The word kapoor, which is atonement, day of atonement, Yom Kippur, is actually to smear, to cover. It's the life of Christ. When the, when the high priest would go in, he'd sprinkle seven times on the place of atonement, right? It's literally the life of Christ being sprinkled on you. His life for yours. He gave up his life so that he could give you life. And that's why he came. He came to give life. Now the word life here is the word, it's the word zoe. Zoe, it's life. Zoe means the state of one who is possessed of a vitality or is animate, someone who has life. What Jesus came to do is give you life. What kind of life? He came to give you the spiritual life that you didn't have. The spiritual life that Adam and Eve lost the moment they, they disobeyed God and they disobeyed the command. There was an element of that, that judgment that, 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 that was there. They didn't keel over physically, but they were dead in the trespasses and sins. And Jesus came to deal with that. He came to deal with the trespasses and sins that we found ourselves in, that we were dead in our spirit. But when we're born again, although we're already born physically, we become born spiritually. We become alive spiritually. And we have a spiritual life to live. And this is the thing that I think too often people as Christians, we, we forget. We are literally like, it's, 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 it's zombie land out there, right? It's the walking dead. <laughs> walking around physically, but spiritually dead. But as a Christian, I'm physically alive and I'm spiritually alive, right? And I've come into the kingdom of heaven. I've come into the kingdom of heaven. It's an amazing, amazing thing. When you come to Jesus, he gives your dead spirit life. Now, Jesus doesn't stop giving life. He says, I've come to give life to you and to give it more abundantly, right? Abundant life. It means exceeding, exceeding some number or measure over and above. More than is necessary. Super added. Hashtag super added, right? Exceeding abundantly, supremely. I've come to get supreme. You know, that's a, that's a brand, I guess, right? Somebody? Yeah. Hello, right? He's come to give us supreme life, Right? God never had it in his mind that the Christian life would be life just hanging on. I tell you what, there, there was a time in the life of the church and it wasn't like, you know, huddled in the, the catacombs of the, Rush, the Roman Empire where it's like, woe is us and ho I hope the Romans don't find us. Whatever. No, no, there was a time even in this country, like not too long ago, Christians had this matter. Well, we're hanging on. We're just, you know, we're hanging on with Jesus. We're gonna make it. You know, no, we're not hanging on. He's come to give you life and life to the full, life more abundantly, life supremely. We are to be living our life to the full, counting on God for it all. 
Now, the second that you say that, here's the question. Are you saying that as a Christian, you have this abundant life and you never suffer? No. That's not what is being said. What's being said is you have such a life You have such a life that has been given to you abundantly in Christ. You have such a life that even if you do suffer, the spiritual life that you do have overcomes the suffering. What? You've seen Christians in the most oppressed situations, in the type of situations that you think, how on earth can these people have the joy of the Lord? How can these people have an eternal perspective? How can these people, and I can go down through the history books and I can talk to you about the people, the Corey Ten Booms of the world, who had, who had the abundant spiritual life of Christ, who forgave the, the Nazis for killing her parents. The, all kinds of stuff. Those, I'm thinking of one of the wives of, the men who died on 9-11. And I remember the video clip as she stood there and just had the joy of the Lord even in the face of the death of her husband on 9-11. Now, how can you do that? How can you do that? You can do that if you have life from Jesus and life to the full, amen? Because the spiritual life of Christ teaches us that this isn't all there is. And the older I get, the more I'm kind of reminded on a daily basis. You didn't think about this stuff when you're 20. But something's going to happen to me in less than 30 days. 50. Five zero, right? No, 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 no. Don't tell me about that. Forty was like, okay, I'm a, I'm a real guy now, right? Thirty. We had this guy came to our church. I'm a youth pastor. We're doing all this stuff in the church, crazy stuff. And this guy came and preached in the church, and he says, I don't trust anybody under thirty. I'm like, oh great, you know, here I. And then you get to be 30, and you're like, yeah, I don't trust anybody under 30. (laughs) But man, you realize that this isn't all there is, and, 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 um, you know, we're just here for the time being that God has us for, and, and we're, 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 we've already entered the kingdom of heaven. I'm putting together a series for when we go to the Sunday mornings, and so I, I, I'm thinking of some things right now, but we're already a part of the kingdom of heaven, amen? And so we've already got to have that eternal perspective. Just let's wrap this up. We've got a couple more things. One of the things that happens when you have life and life to the full, when you have life in Christ, is that you can actually understand, you can actually begin to understand the things of God. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, but the natural man, I'll have it on the screen, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man doesn't understand some of these things of the word. 
But as you have life in Christ, you begin to understand the things of the word of God and they're spiritually discerned. And you come to some of these things and go, wow, yeah, I wish, man, I wish I would have had that understanding when I was 20. You know, I wish I would have had that. And, and you can have that spiritual discernment and understanding. Why? Because you have spiritual life. You have spiritual life. And if you have spiritual life and you have spiritual discernment in your life, then you need to be walking in the spirit right? Paul put it this way in Corinthians. He says, for we walk by faith, not by sight, right? In Galatians, he say, I say then walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. Amen. I've come to give life. I've come to give life and I've come to give it to the full, supreme, super added, right? How do you get a life? Give your life to Christ. Lay your life down. Jesus put it this way. If you'll lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Why? Because we're complete in him and he's always there for us.